Hi, this is Dr. Tom Pritchard, head coach at JPWA, the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy. And if you want to save money, go to SaveWithConrad.com. Well, I kept watching the podcast and I kept seeing the commercials. You can't help but see the commercials during the podcast. And I figured, Conrad, who else better? So we gave it a shot and found out we were right. We were looking to refinance our mortgage. Everybody has a lot of bills these days, and we thought we could probably do better with the percentage rate. Everybody was great to work with. It was a matter of just filling in the right numbers uh, in the right place, and everybody told us how to do that and what we needed. And within the next three weeks, we, we were refinanced. We are saving now over $100 a month. So that's probably over a 25-year span uh, $25,000, which adds up, was so simple and they made me feel uh, a lot less nervous and more comfortable when I'm talking to someone because I don't always understand financial aspects of anything, but it was great working with the team, uh, everyone from uh, top to bottom, start to finish. If we had questions, no matter how complicated, everyone made sure to explain it to its fullest, to our satisfaction, to where we understood, my wife and I understood the process, understood where we needed to start and where we were gonna end up. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Brett's Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Word to your mom. Well, I don't know about that, but, uh, she's... why not? Why not? Your mama likes word. Well, I don't know that she likes a word from you. She does. Well, you stood up and sold some dirty limericks before, and I don't think she really enjoyed that that much. I think she did. Okay. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree, but I forget which one, what, 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 which one did I sing? The postman. Oh yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. That, that brought the house down. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had a rehearsal dinner. Thanks for that. I was asked to do that. Uh, okay. Well, this is a request. Do you always listen to, uh, Ric Flair's suggestions? Sometimes. Yeah. But hey, I mean, he knew if you would do that, there'd be no more heat on him. Ta-da. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. You're the heat shield. I'm the heat shield. For, yes. For many I'm a years. Shield, or either that or I'm a shield of heat. What'd they call uh, Tom on uh, succession? A pain sponge. Okay. You're a pain sponge. There are worse I'm things. I'm like I guess. the other guy. You're like Matson. I'm like, no, no. You- I'm like, I'm the, I'm the, the, I'm the old timer that was brought back. Oh, you're Logan. Oh no. You're Frank. Maybe Frank. You're yeah. Frank. Yeah. I could see you as Frank or Carl. Yeah. Frank or Carl. One of the two. They're yeah. kind of interchangeable. I like that. All right, boys and girls. The reason we're here today is to talk about King of the ring, 1997. We meant to talk about this last year. 
Ha ha. Uh, that would have been the 25th anniversary. <laughs> Suckers. Uh, but sorry. this is uh, sort of a forgotten show because of everything going on at the time. You know, there's the real life backstage drama bubbling over with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Brett's on the shelf. He's supposed to be on this show wrestling Steve Austin, but he's got that damn knee acting up. Let's just pick up where we left off coming out of cold day in hell. The obvious main story is about Bret Hart and Steve Austin. And even in the observer, Dave would bring up that there's a fear of overexposure of them because of the amount of injuries on the roster. That's gotta be like your worst nightmare in creative, right? You've got all these great plans. And then, damn it, somebody gets hurt, and that throws a monkey wrench in all the plans. Always the shits when somebody gets hurt, especially a magnitude when you have a long-term story laid out with them, because now it's you're you're, you're playing the waiting game. You're wondering, all right, is rehab going to help this? Are they going to be out six to eight weeks? Is that six to eight weeks going to turn into eight months? You never really know. So you try, you know, you try to put band-aid here and a band-aid there hoping that along the way it's going to heal a little bit quicker than you know but it's dealing with the unknown which i'm just a master of because i don't know much let's talk a little bit about the show in newark uh newark delaware it's a major new arc new arc okay new arc delaware uh well listen it's a big deal We've got Brett cutting a promo with Shawn Michaels. Brett's in the wheelchair at the time, and he's going to go long on the interview. The idea is the show's supposed to go off the air with Shawn super kicking Brett out of the wheelchair. Supposedly Brett doesn't hear his cue. He goes long and the show goes off the air with Brett, just berating Sean and Sean, just taking it. And I guess as the story goes, even though they showed what happened after the show went off the air on the weekend syndicated shows. Sean was pretty upset thinking perhaps Brett didn't want that to be the closing scene on raw. So he went long on purpose. What's gorilla like in a circumstance like this with all these hurt feelings. I don't know. It's hurt feelings as much as it was just sheer anger. Um, I don't think anybody was happy about the situation by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, looking at it as I'm sitting there at gorilla and timing the show and going, holy shit, let's go, let's go begging everybody and their mother to let them know how much time that we have to we're off the air and just wasn't happening. Wasn't happening. Wasn't happening. And, you know, from my vantage point, there was no way that they couldn't have gotten the cue, couldn't have known exactly where the hell we were at any point in time in the last two minutes of that segment. So, um, you know, pretty pissed. At least I was. And, you know, coming back, I also always would try to diffuse situations like that as well by, you know, here, here's the reality. When you, you create something, you're trying to do something live, there's, there's only a few people that know what they would like to have happen. What happens is what happens, man. It's live. So you have to deal with what went out and or what didn't go out. My, you know, go-to has always been, hey, we know what was supposed to happen. They don't. The audience doesn't know. The audience doesn't know that's what we're supposed to do. So 
here's the circumstances we're left with. Now, how do we fix it? Now, how do we how do we still get that story out there? We're not going to get it out the way that we wanted to get it out in the time frame that we wanted to get it out. We didn't have the social media machine that we have today. So you're looking at, okay, hey, man. <laughs> and I am pretty sure it was it was this night because, you know, I would – always again, try to calm guys down. And, and Sean was like, you know, fuck you, Bruce. And, you know, I know what was supposed to happen. It didn't fucking happen. Cause he didn't do his part. Right. And kind of hard to argue at that point, but I'm also like saying, it's okay. This is how we're going to fix it. This is what we're going to do. We'll get it out on the syndicator. We'll get it out everywhere. And, uh, this is something that went off after the air and that's good. You know, shit. Sometimes things, uh, go on, after we go off the air. So it just adds to the story, but not an ideal situation. Let's talk about Ahmed Johnson. The same episode of Monday night raw would see Ahmed defeat Hunter Hearst Helmsley in a King of the ring qualifier match by DQ. Let me say that again. Ahmed Johnson beats triple H in a King of the ring qualifier match. Now, if you're as confused as I am, I guess the natural question is Bruce, did you guys know? that Hunter was winning all along and this was a storytelling device or was this not the original plan? And we pivoted. No, it was a storytelling device. Okay. It was, you know, one of those hiccups along the way that, you know, Ahmed's got a natural claim now and there's a program ready made. I got you. Scott Putsky is going to debut on this show as well and defeat leaf Cassidy, who we know is the real life Al snow. What'd you think of Leaf Cassidy? Not Leaf Cassidy. What'd you think of Scott Putsky? He's not long for this world. You know, I, I mean, goddamn, man, I go back to the early seventies with Ivan Putsky and, and I'll tell you a story about Ivan. Ivan was for people in the Midwest. There was Igor. Uh, Igor was, God, I want to say his name is Dave Silva, but, uh, Igor wasn't that big. Um, maybe Martinez. I don't know. Nice guy. All right. But he was main, he was mainly in the Midwest in Detroit and Chicago places like that. Uh, wore the white coveralls with black trunks and tennis shoes and everything. And you know, of Polish descent, even though he wasn't. And Ivan Putsky came after Igor. I think Igor was probably the more popular of the two, when you looked at magazines and overall, because I think Igor was first and Putsky came along, but I would dare say, because I've seen both, man, uh, Ivan Putsky in his heyday, you could not touch. I mean, Putsky would have people eating out of the palm of his hand and he, you know, would come on and his promos were, Yakshimash. And did all of his promos all in Polish, had an interpreter from the crowd that would come up and she would translate for him. And, you know, his emotion as she would translate in Polish to him was just unbelievable, man. The way that he could communicate with the audience without either having to say a word or in another language. And, Putsky was great. Kids would come and they would bring him teddy bears and candy. He was just a, a big child. 
But when you angered Ivan, oh my God, you know, it was unbelievable. And Ivan left Texas and, and Ivan went to New York for uh, Vincent J. McMahon. Man, Ivan got up there, stopped wearing the, the white, you know, underwear top and the black tights. And all of a sudden he put on trunks and boots. He shaved and he got into bodybuilding shape. Whereas before he was like a power lifter shape. Yeah. He, he had a derby on him, but um, man, it was like this Polish strong man, Ivan Putsky. Then he became like Polish bodybuilder, Ivan Putsky. In New York, man, Drew, you know, sell out, you know, as Putsky would always say. But when he came back to Texas, the audience was used to Ivan Putsky, strongman Ivan Putsky, that needed their help, that needed them to get him through a match, man, when he was in trouble. Their encouragement would give him the strength to overcome any and all evil. He comes back and he's cutting promos in English with the Texas accent. Um, looks like, you know, a brick shit house. But the innocence of the character of Ivan Putsky was dead. And I always used to laugh because Paul Bosch would always talk about whenever Ivan even say, he goes, yeah, he goes, New York killed Ivan Putsky. Because that gimmick was one that people could identify with and really get behind. And when he went to New York, he just became another guy. Now, I'm not going to deny that Ivan wasn't a huge draw. And, and look, Ivan still did very well with that. But I just always liked the, you know, the Polish power, Ivan Putsky, that was innocent and a little different. Now you fast forward, and, and Scott Putsky is uh, – Wrestling Scott is uh, Joe's son, Scott Bednarski. Uh, uh, Joe Bednarski is Ivan Putsky's real name, and he was from Austin, Texas. And now Scott is following in his father's footsteps. And I think that in some places where Ivan might have been difficult to deal with, I think some of that rubbed off on Scott and the promoters immediately thought, oh, I've got to deal with uh, Scott. I got to deal with Ivan and I don't want to deal with Ivan. Um, that might have hurt Scott a little bit, but Scott wasn't the biggest guy in the world. Right. Um, didn't cut a great promo, but there was something about Scott. I mean, he had a great look. Um, he wasn't a bad worker by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I think Scott and I think everybody, and I will even go, you know, I think that we did the same thing. I think everybody wanted him to be, you know, Ivan Putsky's son instead of Scott Putsky. I think Scott would have had a better run being Scott Bednarski, frankly, than Scott Putsky. Because wow. he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have had the baggage and the comparison of his father. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. So, you know, while he was a a good hand, I don't know that he was ever going to be more than that. Just the personality wasn't there. And I think he was really lost in the shadow of his father at that point. Let's talk about Leif Cassidy. Uh, he's going to get a ride oh, yeah. the observer. Leif Cassidy gave notice, but that was more of an attempt to get the WWF to do something with him rather than a sign he's quitting. His contract is up at the end of July. They talked with him about doing a gimmick as the world's greatest Mexican wrestler wearing a mask and spoofing Mexicans, but the AAA deal fell apart and they never really got it off the ground. Since he doesn't have a guaranteed contract and is only on the road as a fill in, he isn't making all that much money. And you can imagine the frustration with not getting a push with far less talented wrestlers who aren't getting over having angles at the same time, he's been a disappointment in the ring and his big matches. So listen, that's Dave's note. what do you think of Al Snow, this potential world's greatest Mexican wrestler gimmick? Of course, somebody tried that years later as El Generico. I think, I don't know whatever happened to him. what do you think of the idea and, and what was your feeling on Al Snow in this era, 1997? I was a big fan of Al Snow as always was, um, from the time that I first saw Al, which was in Smoky mountain wrestling. He was teaming with Glenn Jacobs and, you know, there was a lot of buzz around Al Snow being this great worker and what have you. And man, I, I've always liked Al personally and professionally because I thought he was good in the ring. Um, and Al also was one to bet on himself. And if he wasn't doing anything, he was like, okay, you know what? I'll go somewhere else and, and let me go try and learn a new hold. I respected that still respect that about Al. I think that that was a, you know, a good way of, of doing business. But, um, you know, at this time he, he had been in as avatar and Al had that, that he had to contend with when he first came in was the, the push from Jr pushing avatar to be the second coming and every single segment of every single match of, you know, avatar, that it killed him. It killed any, any hope of Al ever even uh, getting an opportunity beyond where he was. So the Leaf Cassidy character with the new rockers was a way to kind of reinvent Al and, you know, Al's kind of goofy at times can be, I mean, not as a human being, <laughs> you know, he can be, man. I have had a lot of fun with Al Snow. I used to love traveling with Al and, and Pat Kenny back in my TNA days. We had a blast. Um, but it was, it just was something that, you know, he was, he was in a rut. He was just in a rut as Leaf Cassidy. And there people kind of just viewed him in that vein at that time. And he, the best thing for him was to go away and learn a new hold. He's going to, and he's going to come back with head and, uh, get banned from Walmart. And well, that's a story for another time, uh, mankind and Paul bear Walmart, but that's for other situations. You were yeah. stealing meat though, right? Doing the old Kenny Bowling. Okay. Can't prove that. Uh, mankind and Paul bear who has his face all wrapped up from being burned. 
Uh, he does an interview with Paul bear saying he was going to reveal something undertaker doesn't want known unless undertaker agrees to come back to him. And of course, uh, this is going to be the beginning of one of your favorite stories in wrestling history. Was, was anybody questioning this or were you just rubbing your hands excited to just, we get, a, we get to paint another backstory for the undertaker. You hadn't been able to do that in quite a while. Well, question it what way I, I you know, I mean, to me, it was, you know, this was a natural, this yeah. was a, this was the next chapter in the undertaker, Paul bear story. So instead of, you know, you, you had these rich characters in undertaker and Paul bearer and you throw mankind into that. Well, you can throw in another person into that, you know, a fourth dance partner that made beautiful music, man, and uh, danced very well together for many, many years. So I don't know what there, what there is to question. I think that the good questions are that people were asking, you know, what is it, you know, what does Paul bearer have on the undertaker that, is going to, you know, be this earth shattering revelation. So people were looking at that and just, uh, kind of interested in the story. Talk to me a little bit about the decision to go racial with Farouk and the undertaker. I don't think we'd ever do this these days, but Farouk's going to come out in preparation for his title shot against the undertaker and cut a promo in the ring while Vince McMahon is holding the mic saying that there's only been two token black champions. And he specifically says Ahmed Johnson, who he's been in a feud with and Bobo Brazil. They were the intercontinental in the U S champs, but there's never been a black WWF champion. Now, of course we're leaning into the nation a little bit and we flirted with this before, but now it is with the title shot in mind. And I don't know, it almost feels like this sort of cast a negative light on the whole company. Were you hesitant to do that? And, and why did Vince think this? And again, it's time and place, but Vince clearly went with it. He's there holding the mic. Well, I think again, you know, when you look at the storylines that took place throughout the ages, it's always a mirror of things that are going on in society at right. the time or shortly thereafter. So while those tensions were high in society, as it is, is something that, that we would do? Absolutely not. Is something you look back on and go, gosh, I wish we wouldn't have done that one. I'd like to have that one back. Definitely. I wouldn't want to do it and don't think it was the right thing to do. Let's talk, uh, about Rob Van Dam. He's going to be here wrestling Jeff Hardy in 1997. He's going to get the win in two minutes and 28 seconds. The split legged moonsault. We've talked about this a little bit before in the archives of all the people that Rob Van Dam could be, you know, working against here to represent ECW, it's going to wind up being Jeff Hardy. These guys four years later are going to steal the show at the invasion pay-per-view. This is something else to see here. Meltzer would say that the whole angle was set up by Bruce Pritchard and Paul Heyman. So Heyman could have his own outsider heel and his own promotion and expect Van Dam to wind up with Raven's heel position. Of course, Raven's going to be jumping to WCW. And there's a lot of chance at Rob Van Dam. You sold out. Uh, what'd you think of this ECW invasion piece of business you guys did here in 97? Well, I think it could have been a lot better than it was. Yeah. Um, the, the idea obviously was to utilize Rob and utilize other talent from ECW to come in and 
to create somewhat of an interpromotional feud, if you will, a rivalry. Um, but this one, having Van Dam come in the first time and, and Paul there, and there was a lot of jockeying and, and people not wanting to do business, um, that the decision was made after that that, you know what, I think we're I think we're good dealing with ECW. I think we're we're done with that. If if this simple start to get things going is such a debate and, and so difficult to get through, that wasn't something that Vince was interested in in doing on a week after week basis. So while I think it could have been good, I think it was good for Van Dam, and I think it was good for ECW. It wasn't good for us because it was it was a pain in the ass to deal with, frankly. The, uh, gold dust pieces are going to start airing here on the WWF program. This is where JR is doing like a sit down piece and talking to gold dust. And, you know, they're talking about dusty so much that Meltzer feels like, you know, maybe they're trying to do something with dusty here. He's such a big part of the story, but dusty still has a year left on his WCW deal. Was there any hesitancy to talk about Dusty since he was on the other show? I mean, once upon a time, you guys never acknowledged competitors. What did you think about this decision? Um, I didn't like taking Gold Dust out of the Gold Dust character. I I could imagine that wouldn't be your deal. So, I I thought that all right. I know Dustin wanted to do this and, and felt very strongly. And there were, there were real feelings um, and emotions about the gold dust character and dusty. I just thought that, man, the reason that gold dust was gold dust was that it was a persona Dustin could put on and be someone else. And I think that he was better portraying a character than he was as, you know, the natural Dustin Rhodes. And that gold dust character was so rich and so flamboyant and so just all consuming when you take it off of him and he becomes a normal guy. He was not interesting right off the bat, in my opinion. And I thought that Dustin had come so far in everything that he had done with the character work that he had done, that when you stripped all that away from him, that all of a sudden he was a, he was a regular guy. And I don't think people pay money to see a regular guy next door. And it just was, if the gold dust character had been a flop, then, you know, okay, yeah, let's try something, but it wasn't. And this was an opportunity to, you know, try something new. And in my opinion, just did not work because I didn't care about Dustin. I cared about gold dust. And I didn't care about Terry Runnels. I cared about Marlena. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some behind the scenes names. They're going to make the observer officially Renee Goulet, George Steele, and Jay Strongbow were with the company as agents. Although they aren't booked for any dates at the present ring announcer, Lance Reich for sure. And I believe Bill Dunn and Barry Horowitz were let go. Uh, is this just a uh, time to move on? It feels like we're making a lot of shifts here. Well, I think that in any business, a lot of times that there are changes that 
take place. And this was one of those times changes take place. This is a, an entertainment business. And unless you're hot, you know, somebody else knew Pat Patterson used to have a saying. It's uh, you know what? He goes, we can bring in new because they may be the shits, but at least it's new shit and not old shit. Yes. So sometimes you, you've just got to churn and that's in business in general. These are business decisions that they're, you know, bringing in new producers, new agents We're bringing in new talent. And in order to do that, you've got to move some out as well. So that's just a business decision that takes place. The next week raw is in mobile, Alabama. There's a sellout crowd there. 6,200 fans. It sets a city record, $92,575. Uh, and Meltzer would say raw has turned into a total copy of nitro with all the infuting and four or less minute matches, the same open with the same style pyro and even adding the new announcer at the beginning of the second hour raw for a long time was the innovator. Were you guys intentionally trying to borrow from what was working on the other show? No, I think that, you know, the main thing that we were trying to do was create something new for raw and to make it edgier, to make it a little bit different. The other thing was in the two hour format is to do two completely separate shows instead of having, you know, one show over two hours be, you know, in your ratings and so-and-so was rated this, you now have two shots at it. You have, you know, Raw's War and um, Monday Night Raw. Well, there was a War Zone and a Raw and a whatever. Yeah, yeah, Raw's War and the War Zone. Yeah. So they were two. They were two separate shows. We would put copyright up and we would change announcers to give you the feel. Of now you're watching something else. Same thing. Same arena. Same everything. But uh, it was ten o'clock. So by God, now it's a new show. Um, that was just a way to kind of make the ratings and take what we had and divvy it up and make it go a little bit further. When you have two shows in the top 10 yeah. versus one, right. That's a little more, tra- more attractive to advertisers. Uh, Hunter sneaks his way back into the tournament because Vader is unable to wrestle. Uh, he's still hurt from his match against Ken Shamrock at cold day in hell. And the story is that Tim white incorrectly gave Hunter instructions in his match against Ahmed as to avoid a lawsuit. He was being put back in. So this is interesting. We're trying to find a storyline reason to put Hunter back in. I guess we're just trying to tell the story that, Hey, he's the shady sneaky heel and, uh, he's sneaking back in the tournament and we're supposed to hate him for that now. Either that or Tim White was just a shitty referee and we didn't want to deal with the legal repercussions right. that could take place for the bad advice and the bad judgment of referee Tim White. Rest in peace. Uh, Bob Holly defeats uh, Owen Hart in a non-title match in his hometown, um, but he ends up getting a beat down by the rest of the Hart Foundation. That's kind of fun. Of course, we're in Mobile, so of course we got to do something with Bob here. Do you think... I mean, we know that Bob as hardcore Holly gets a little bit of a push. Do you think there was ever any upside for Sparky plug? I think in the beginning there was hope. Absolutely. Uh, STP Thurman Sparky plug. My friends call me or wait. Yeah. Hang on. Uh, Thurman Sparky plug. My friends call me Sparky. 
whatever the fuck it was, I STP think, for short. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, maybe it was, I don't know. Yeah, his name, my name is Thurman Plug. My friends call me Sparky. That's STP for short. That's how it was. That's terrible. Did those all at the Snowball Derby in, uh, in Mobile, right? Or Pensacola. Somewhere around there, we did the Snowball Derby, and uh, Bob was r- racing in the Snowball Derby and, of course, got in a fight. It was great, man. It was. I thought, man, this guy, I fell in love. Bob Holly's one of those guys I fell in love with at first sight because he was just, man, bombastic Bob was the best description of Bob Holly ever ever had um, because that's what he was, man. He just said what he thought and he was, he'll fight you if you need to fight, but he was just a great guy. And still is a great guy, but Bob, you know, in the very beginning, I remember Jim Cornette comparing Bob Holly to Bobby Eaton. And that was good enough for me because I thought, okay, you know, give me Bob Holly. Yeah. And then, you know, Bob came in and we did the uh, race car thing because that was a passion of his. He loved racing cars. I think Bob loved fighting at the racetrack more than he did racing at the racetrack. But, you know, that was a great character too. And it wasn't a character, man. That was him. That was just who he was. That's, that's how he lived his, his life every day. So that was, that was pretty cool. We, uh, we should mention that this is the same episode where Mick Foley does his sit down interview. He starts his sit down interview with Jim Ross. Of course, it's going to be a series of interviews and at the end he's going to attack Mick, but somehow along the way, or Mick's going to attack Jr. But somehow along the way, Mick becomes a baby face. I don't think anybody maybe could have predicted this would have become as big of a deal as it was, but this really helps sell and cement. Mick Foley as a performer to Vince McMahon, does it not? Well, this was the introduction of Mick Foley. Yes. And no, nobody expected the, the way the audience would take him and the sympathy that Mick would get from the audience. It was magnificent to say the least. So, you know, you don't necessarily have a sympathetic character there in Jim Ross and the way that Jim was asking the questions, you know, he was being that, he was being that reporter that sits down and asking those uncomfortable questions. And when he would get a vague answer, would push a little bit harder. So, you know, Jim was great in this interview because he was like, okay, man, I understand, but let me dig a little bit deeper. Let, let me get a little bit more. So what you're saying is, um, you know, you ate the worms and you liked them. Um, yeah, nobody likes to have warm breath. You think girls want to kiss somebody with warm breath? The It was masterfully done, and, and my hat's off to uh, Jim and Mick because the two of them were magic, you know, doing this and putting it all together. And it was real. It felt real. Just got a lot of sympathy on Mick after that, and it was the introduction of Mick. All that this audience had ever seen was mankind. And cactus. They hadn't, this audience hadn't seen cactus. Well, that's fair. Well, this so. show in mobile is, is not as known for Bob Holly and the Mick Foley interview as it is Sean's now infamous sunny days comment <laughs> towards Brett. Walk me through what all happens with this. I mean, this is, and do you think Sean would have said the sunny days comment? 
had the whole wheelchair mishap not happened the prior week? I don't know. I don't know. You know, this was during the time that Brett and Sean, you know, were working through their differences and, and it was, Hey man, let's get personal. Let's get real. Let's say the things that nobody thinks we'll say. Let's get edgy. Let's get out there. Like, Ooh, that was, that was real. And, and work with, there's a lot of work, work shooting going on, if you will. And sometimes it, it went too far. Brett didn't even know the comment was made when it happened. Brett didn't hear it or went right over his head. Brett had no clue at all until he got home and his wife was like, what the hell was that? Yeah. So, it, it, you know, everybody like makes it this big. It was no big deal that night at all. It wasn't until the ramifications and, and other people, you know, like Dave Meltzer starts talking about it and, and stirring up shit that wasn't there that, you know, should Sean have said that? Well, there's also here? a story out there that Brett's son went to school and kids were asking him questions about it. And that ain't cool. No, it's not cool, but it, it wouldn't. Here's the thing. It, I, it never would have been an issue if people, well, first of all, it wouldn't have been an issue if Sean hadn't said it. Okay. That's number one. Uh, number two is that if people like Dave Meltzer, who like to create controversy and create shit out of nothing, you know, put that out there and say, oh, well, this is because there are rumors backstage. Nobody else, you know, all that was just so inside baseball. Come on. That, that's just, I'm not buying it. And they were at a point where they were throwing zingers at each other. Right. And they had an agreement to throw zingers at each other. But anytime that happens, man, you can go back in time and look at everybody. Hey, I agree to, to do this. And we're good. Let's get personal with this. But then you say one thing. Wait a minute. I didn't think you were going to say that. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, how about the time that. And, and all of a sudden, you've now worked yourself into a shoot. Because what you think is okay, the other guy may not think is okay. And that's all that happened here was this was Sean. Okay. You want to get edgy? Let's get edgy. You know, Brett talking about Sean and play girl and all this other stuff and everything. They all thought, okay, it's all fair game. It's okay. But all of a sudden feelings got hurt and people were getting upset. And it was like, you know, families getting involved now. So eh, Good, bad, or indifferent, that, that's what it was. And not until everybody else made it a big deal did it become a big deal. My opinion. Well, the promo was it was supposed to set up Brett versus Sean at King of the Ring. And if Brett doesn't beat Sean in less than 10 minutes, he wouldn't wrestle in the United States again. We know that match isn't going to happen, but they do try that stipulation again against The Undertaker at SummerSlam. Talk to me about the fantasy booking of this. Had it happened, King of the Ring 97, Brett versus Sean, would Brett have won with some interference and that sets up the 10-man tag in July? Was that the plan? I think that's what we had, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is uh, a line directly from The Observer. Ahmed Johnson did an interview saying that Farouk was right about the WWF never letting a black man hold the title. And then said, now he's going to win the title for the fans and for fans of all colors. 
the WWF was using the race card in an attempt to garner interest in undertaker versus Farouk. Then at the same time, crying about how bad it was to use the race card. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels kind of weird. Not good. Yeah. The whole thing just maybe, maybe, maybe shouldn't have done this. Uh, the undertaker of course is being chased around by Paul bear. He's getting on the screen and saying, I'm going to reveal the secret unless you agree to let me manage you again. Undertaker begs for another week to work on this. Silva, show that graphic again of Paul Bear on the big screen. Look at that. Bruce, how would you, how would you describe that to our, our listeners who aren't looking at YouTube? That's Mummy Paul. Dude, what a look, too. Well, he was burned all over, all over his face, his nosal area, and about four of his chins were burned, and his forehead was burned, his little ears were burnt. It was terrible, terrible burns. Who laughed the most when they saw his head wrapped up like that? Russo, McMahon, you, Pat, Cornette. God. I mean, that's just a hell of a look there. Yeah, I might have done that. I don't know. Also on this show is one of the more underrated lines of JR's career. Dakota Runnels is introduced as Minnie Marlena as the push to turn Goldust babyface continues. She grabs a microphone and runs away, and JR says something like, She's just like her grandfather, hogging the mic. Funny stuff. Yeah. The show ends with Michaels and Austin fighting off the heart foundation. Austin is going to beat Neidhart in under two minutes because of a DQ and monsoon announces that Sean and Austin are going to team up next to take on Davy boy and Owen for the tag titles. And Meltzer's critical that Sean's first match back on TV is a tag match. What do you think of that? Is that something that, I mean, the storytelling, who cares? What do you think? Yeah, it is storytelling. I thought it was good storytelling too, but it was also out of necessity that we had to do something. And this was one of those that was was a band-aid, but when it got pulled off, it was like, what the fuck? We didn't need to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and it was just a knee-jerk reaction. And sometimes when you're in the moment, you make knee-jerk reactions based on the information you have at the time. And then you're in it, got to go through with it. And it just uh, creates issues and problems that now you've got to work yourself out of those. Next up, we should talk about PG-13. They're cut loose here. Meltzer would say, apparently the guys think that it's Jerry Lawler who had them fired because they're working opposition to Lawler in Tennessee. Although that's been denied internally. They were told there's a chance to be brought back for the light heavyweight division, but that would likely only be for television purposes. If it happens at all, JC ice had gotten a lot of heat in his short tenure there. Did the King push for this or was it no. that just run its course? No, it just had run its course. And I, you know, during this time, um, PG 13, they, they had received their WrestleMania payoffs and felt that they deserved a lot more what they based that on. I don't know, but instead of handling business like business, um, kind of let everybody in the locker room know it. And by, you know, by the time that it gets to the point of anybody that could actually do anything about it. It had already blown up, and I think that contributed a lot to them being gone. But um, Jerry Lawler have anything to do with it? No, not at all. 
Of course, JC ice is Bill Dundee's son, Jamie Dundee. He's uh pretty vocal. Throw him in the Google machine. Uh, talent motherfucker though. You'll be entertained or offended, but you won't remember meeting yeah. him. That's for sure. Uh, it's also reported that the funk is entertained and offended, but you won't remember meeting him. That's no, so you won't forget meeting him. Oh, like okay. he, he, you'll either be entertained and laugh at how over the top it is, or you'll be offended at how over the top it is, but you won't forget seeing it. There you go. Uh, the Funkettes are going to be brought back with flash funk. Was it just time to cut them loose? Is this a cost factor? Was it not adding anything? Didn't sell tickets. Yeah, look, it's cost factor that they weren't adding a whole lot to the act at all. Right. And it was like just two, two people didn't have names that, you know, weren't workers were just dancers that went out and danced with him and didn't make him any more and or less as flash funk. Before the next Monday night raw in Evansville, we realized that Brett's not going to be ready to go against Sean at the pay-per-view. So that match is going to be off the table. Did you question the knee injury in retrospect? No. I mean, of course we know at WrestleMania 13, the original plan was these guys, but Sean lost his smile and had a knee injury. Some people might say, well, Brett's being selective now. I never bought that. What'd you think? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't First of all, I don't think that's in Brett's DNA. Uh, second was, you know, Brett was probably overcompensating because of his injury. You know, he made all the towns. He, he made everything to be there and in and out of airplanes and the pressurization wasn't helping his knee recover. So had Brett stayed home, he might have been able to rehab that knee to come back, but Brett was no man. I'll be there. I'm going to do everything. Um, that's the doctor in me from my 50 years of injuries, but, uh, you know, I just think that Brett pushed it too hard and it wasn't healing the way that it should have been healing. Had he stayed in one place, rested and rehabbed. We uh, should talk about Evansville. You got another record set here at the gate, $90,148. It's a sellout 6,765 tickets sold. Had you been amongst them, you would have seen Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels win the WWF tag team titles from Davey boy and Owen. The crowd went bananas. And, uh, listen, those days shows were selling out. It was impossible to get tickets these days. It's a whole heck of a lot easier with our friends at game time, buying tickets for your favorite events. Shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. You can even get killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. It means you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up until the day of the event. Seriously, talk about last minute. This is as good as it gets, not just for wrestling, but everything. Comedy, theater, baseball, basketball, football. What I like best though, are two things. Number one, you get images of your seat before you buy. Sometimes we all take a look at a seat map and we wonder, Hey, is that a good seat? Well, here with game time, you'll know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Can't beat that. Not only that, check this out. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and the same row for less money, Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. How do you beat that? 
download the game time app, create an account and use the code wrestle. You'll get $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account and redeem code wrestle for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So listen, Jerry Lawler is going to cut a promo on this episode of Monday night raw, and he is going to go try to offend as many people as he can. It is very, very edgy, but it is, uh, not PC today. He calls dusty Rhodes old dust says he's ashamed of his son, calls him a bad word. And he said he married Marlena. who's like a target department because everyone shops there. And maybe he said something about a doorknob. Everybody gets a turn. I don't know, but he's going just real, real hard on the gold dust character on Terry Runnels on dusty roads. It's bad. Uh, it's offensive. It was a different time, but it's probably what you were looking for. You want to make sure that everybody cheers gold dust here, right? Yeah. Again, trying to, to get some empathy and some yes. sympathy and be able to have the audience member feel for Dustin, not gold dust. Cause it was, it wasn't gold dust and trying to, you know, make this character more human, you know, again, Hey man, different time, different place, but that's, you know, I just I just think the whole presentation was, ill-timed and they're doing this in evansville too bruce like evansville was an old memphis territory they you know the him and 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 jared ran this town every week in evansville so you're talking about a 20 some odd year run here as a monster babyface and one of the most over characters in the territory days here and now he's out here trying to be the heel and getting you to boo goldust the fans aren't having it lawler gets a big pop they're booing goldust out of the building when Lawler finally hits his patented pile driver, which ended everybody for years in this town, Goldust no sells it, pops right up and returns with a pile driver of his own and the crowd boos. This might've been a good idea, but this is like an awful town to do it in. No, I don't think it would have worked anywhere. I really and truly don't. Um, it's just because nobody cared. Right. For whatever reason, nobody cared. And Lawler at least had Jerry Lawler had a connection with the audience, whether it was Evansville, Chicago, Los Angeles, or Waco, Texas wouldn't have mattered. They knew Lawler. They knew what to expect from Lawler. And I didn't, you know, man, I just keep going back to it. Nobody gave a shit about Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. They gave a shit about gold dust. And we stripped him of that. We stripped him of everything that the audience had an emotional attachment to. And just made him, you know, it's hard to to talk about because I I fucking love Dustin Rhodes. Right. And I thought that he was one of the most talented talents I've ever had the pleasure to work with. But when you take a flamboyant character like gold dust and you strip it all away and you make someone a boring husband, family man, I'm not watching TV and I'm not 
watching WWE to see a boring husband with a kid get out there and just be golly gee whiz you know I've got my daddy was mean to me and we don't get along and everybody had to fucking you know not everybody had great relationships with their mom dad growing up there were more people that were attached to Dusty Rhodes than Dustin Rhodes that audience, this audience, you know, don't give me this shit. Oh, everybody knows Dusty Rhodes. Everybody knows Dusty Rhodes. No, they didn't. WWE fans just watched WWE, didn't watch that other shit, didn't know. Okay. And they didn't care. Even if they knew, they didn't care. And I just thought everything interesting and everything emotional we took away from him. And the it became so much about everything else. And he didn't have Dusty to, to, to come in and do anything with. You know, hell, if he could have done a program with Dusty, then yeehaw. But they would have cared about Dusty. There was equity in Dusty Rhodes. There was no equity in Dustin. There was equity in gold dust. And I just, you, you know, you try so hard sometimes because, again, the human beings behind it. Um. So bad did you know? I want to see Dustin Runnels succeed, and I thought he did as the character Gold Dust. And I think that Dustin was always looking for more. And I also think that there's a part of Dustin that really wanted to be more than just Gold Dust, and I applaud that. I think it could have been done differently, is what I'm saying. This to me wasn't something that. I could get behind Dustin Rhodes on. To me, it was boring, and I didn't care. Because all it did was tell me everything you told me the last two years is all a lie. It's all bullshit. And, okay, well, I like that guy. He was interesting. This guy is just kind of, meh. So Lawler. My neighbor next door and get the same story. So Lawler's going to be off to King of the Ring, and he's going to face the winner of Savio Vega versus Mankind. And, uh, Ahmed Johnson pins Vader in three minutes and six seconds with a spine buster. And, uh, Meltzer would say it was if they were killing Vader off because they left him dead. Ken Shamrock did commentary Vader scheduled for surgery on his nose sometime this week. And will be out of action until late June. And they did part two of the mankind story in this era. And this is where we reveal that he was at ringside. During the Don Morocco, Jimmy Snooker match at Madison square garden, where he jumped off the top rope. They even show him training under Mr. Danucci and he, with a young Shane Douglas. And it's pretty wild to think that we're seeing all of this, including some clips of the 1995 King of the death match tournament from the Kawasaki baseball stadium. Let me ask you a question. Go back to that picture in the garden. You really believe that's McFoley? You don't believe that's McFoley? I don't. I don't think it is. And you think Foley's just been bullshitting all these years? No, I, he was there. I know he was there. But you don't think that's him? That's not him, no. Okay. I, it, maybe it is. You know, Mick, Mick would be the one to ask, but I don't think it is. Well, his dad said he saw him on TV. Okay, great. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Um, These vignettes do a lot, not only to 
make him a baby face in the eyes of the fans, but we've heard over the years that it's these sit down interviews that really get Vince to consider him as more than just a good opponent last year for the undertaker, right? It brought his personality out yeah, and brought the storytelling aspects of, of Mick out. Now, you know, in the very beginning when he was in a basement with George, the rat, you saw those same storytelling qualities, man. Mick Foley is a master storyteller. One of the best of all time. And, you know, one of the things that got Mick hired here was the, the ECW vignettes where he's in the little tiny merry-go-round and chanting ECW, I'm extreme, I'm hardcore. Um, that personality that came out of this guy that for years people, you know, saw as Cactus Jack or uh, it just was, man, Mick Foley is a very talented guy. And I don't think that he had had the opportunity especially with Paul as his manager, he didn't have that opportunity to tell the stories the way that he would later on. So they're building up this, according to Meltzer, they're building up undertaker's decision the entire night. And finally, Paul bear with his natural light Brown hair color, um, was about to reveal the secret undertaker came out and told people to forgive him. He hinted as if he's going to kill as in murder. Paul right there. He starts choking him, but then he stops, says he couldn't kill him, bows to him. Bear is now going to manage him. And Meltzer says the secret is something to the effect that there were three graves, one for his mom, one for his dad, and one for him. Apparently Papa Shango did some voodoo to rise undertaker from the dead, which will be part of the story to explain the return of Shango, who is said to have signed a four-year contract and will get a mega push. Shango has been working as the manager of a strip club in Las Vegas for several years. Brian Lee was also considered for the role as a wrestler, not to manage a strip club in Vegas. Of course, we know Papa Shango was nowhere near this. This was Kane. Was anything ever discussed about this angle in Papa Shango? God, the only thing that would have ever been discussed is early on looking for opponents for Undertaker, which is how came up with the Kane story. Yeah. Uh, Shango's name was probably bannered about, but the feeling was, was that was kind of been there, done that. Yeah. And he becomes a member of the nation and comma Mustafa. And here we go. Uh, yeah, actually he was, no, he came back as comma, the ultimate fighting machine first. Yeah. That was and a few years prior to this. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't, didn't do much. Uh, the Austin three sixteen shirt. Like the Sting shirt in WCW is going through the roof, according to the Observer. WWF is selling more Austin shirts than any wrestler in the history of the promotion, and that includes Hogan and Warrior in their primes. It sparked merchandise sales to new records. Right now, less people are attending pro wrestling than during their peak periods, but those who attend between the higher ticket prices and merchandise are spending more money than ever before. WWF, WCW, and ECW are all doing Japan like merchandise numbers in the glory days of the WWF $2 per person would be considered decent merchandise sales and $4 per person would be considered an incredible night Crockett. When his group was hot and nowhere, they were nowhere even close to those figures. 
over the past week. Plus WWF did better than $10 ahead at MSG and in Auburn Hills, they were nearly $8 ahead, which is along the same lines of what WCW has been doing. And I want to remind everybody the Senate says the WWF is selling more Austin shirts than any wrestler in the history of the promotion. And that includes Hogan and warrior in their primes. Now warriors prime of course was 1990 business was down, but Hogan that would encompass 86, 87, 88, 89. And already in 1997, like in advance of him winning the world title, Steve Austin's already broken. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's amazing. But Steve did more with all those combined. It's it's unbelievable. There was there was nothing that could touch Steve at that time when it was just red hot and you know licensing it had really started to take off and I think that the Austin three sixteen shirt and the the move away from the traditional merchandise with somebody's picture on it and and what have you um, really really helped start that man. I'm hesitant to even mention this, but there was a piece of news in the observer. I want to mention because it did happen, but boy, it's just sad on a variety of levels, especially if you've kept up with the news in recent years, quote, Sonny was in Lexington and talked over the PA about her 16 year old niece dying in the car accident last week and her being in the hospital, holding her hand as she's brain dead. She urged fans to wear safety belts and the fans start booing her. She was really upset backstage afterwards. And then she got yelled at by Jack Lanza because nobody knew she was going to talk about that. Of course, if you've kept up with the news, man, this is just one series of sad stories about Tammy after another. And man, what a bad moment here. Clearly this is important to her and I don't even want to comment on anything with Tammy Sitch. It's just bad, man. It's bad all the way around. There's no good news here. Uh, Sid is supposed to return. We've heard that sentence before on May 30th in San Jose, but now he's claiming he's got the flu and he won't be back until June 28th in Los Angeles. And I know what you're thinking. And so is everyone else. Softball team must be in the playoffs or something. Melissa would say it'll be real interesting to see number one, how large he is. If he really had a back injury and the flu, he'd be way down in muscle size. And why do I think he'll show up bigger than ever? And number two, how the company will use him if he shows up so large, because that'll be an indication that the back injury and flu couldn't have been all that bad. My feeling is they'll push him hard again. And a few months down the line, history will repeat itself. And if it does, if any of you feel sorry for the WBF's bad luck, you should feel more sorry for bad judgment of people who ignore the lessons of the past. Uh, could you trust Sid at this time or at any time? Do you think? No. No, I mean, again, you know, it's, um, there were enough instances to display that, you know, there was, there was very little trust there, but you know, look, man, or you're in business and you try to do things to create bigger and better business, but yeah, do would I, would I, uh, want to invest in that? No. Not particularly. Well, here's something you could probably have fun with in an angle where the heart foundation jumps, Bob Holly on May 19th, Brian Pillman brings a weapon down. It's a squeegee. Nice little tongue in cheek reference to Sid there. 
It's reported in the observer that there's talk with the USA network about moving raw to 9 PM. Of course, we know eventually that is going to happen here in Alabama. It ran eight to 10, I guess on the East coast, it was nine to 11. Was that your idea or USA's idea? Did you think that way you could get edgier or were they asking for that? I think it's a combination of both. I think that uh, USA was looking for more, but we also wanted, you know, we wanted to go head up and felt that, you know, that nine to 11 slot, that it was easier to be a little bit more controversial, a little edgier and a little more risque in the nine to 11 than it is in that eight to nine slot. Well, raw is war is, uh, in Huntington, West Virginia. It's a sellout 4,945 fans. There's $60,000 in change at the gate. We start with an undertaker interview where he's trying to communicate to the fans. He's still a good guy. He's just got to put up with Paul bear here. And he makes a comment about ruling the world, which brings out Sid who challenges the undertaker to a match later in the show. Meltzer would call it a bad match. They go less than five minutes. And of course, Meltzer said, Sid didn't look like anyone I've seen coming back from a back injury in the flu. And when he finally showed up, they told him he's doing a job for the undertaker. He said he didn't want to, he's given some threats as to future employment. He finally agrees. Do you remember this Sid showing up? Not really looking forward to losing to the undertaker. No, he wasn't happy about it. What, what's the issue? Definitely like, was not happy he's the it. champ. Like you're working with the champ. You guys just worked at WrestleMania together. What does it matter? Why did Sid care? Conrad, if I had the answer to that question, then I would be a wealthy man, but I, I, this is business. This is entertainment. There is, you know, winning and losing. If people get hung up on that, then they don't understand the business. That's it. So also on this card, uh, we're going to tape shotgun Saturday night. Owen and bulldog would beat Bob Holly and Jesse James. When Brett would hit, uh, Jesse James with a crutch and the crowd is getting out of control, throwing trash at the heart foundation. And the ring announcer comes over the PA and says, we're going to have to stop the show. If the fans don't stop throwing things that works in reverse, they start throwing more shit. And after 10 minutes of holding up the show, McMahon comes out and does a plea personally. And then they restart the shotgun taping on the one hand, we got heat on the other hand, this is dangerous for fans at ringside. Where do you draw the line? Is it throwing trash? That's it. I don't like throwing anything. Right. I think that that's low brow, low class and should never be done. You know, you're throwing it at someone, you come up short, you hit a kid. Yes. Um, it's just, I mean, that's very selfish, very immature and very day class, a low brow thing to do in any sporting event. Uh, I think it's horrible. Do you remember so, events before or after this having to go plead with a crowd to stop throwing shit? I don't. I don't remember that. You know, it just makes me think of um, the old times in the Sam Houston Coliseum and being a ring announcer and whenever people would start throwing things. And you would make the announcement during the match. Paul would get so mad. And I would go, ladies and gentlemen, do not throw anything inside the Coliseum. If you are caught throwing anything inside the Coliseum, you will be removed from the Coliseum immediately. Do not throw anything in the Coliseum. Sometimes they stop. Sometimes they just throw more. Yeah. But it would, it would totally kill any heat 
that's <laughs> taking place in the ring. You know, and you look back on it now and go, and Paul's goddamn there throwing chat, tell him stop. And yeah, it's it's just uh not good. As a performer, it's horrible because you don't know what's coming at you. And, and as a spectator, I don't look, I'm not gonna go to an event where I think I'm gonna get drenched in beer because some asshole throws a beer. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna take my kids somewhere where people are throwing things. Right. It's just that's that is about as low class as you can get. What it's if, entertainment. What if they weren't throwing anything, but you could see people have sex with corpses in a coffin? Would that be that's okay? Yeah. 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 yeah I get yeah. that. That's inter- that's entertainment, Conrad. No, yeah. I was just meant like low class and low brow. That's more high brow. Yeah. That's high yes, society. It really. that it's, it's art. Yeah. It's art, really. If yes. we're honest. It is. Um, so Meltzer's gonna report that the plans have changed. Papa Shango will not be a part of the angle. And I guess plans there were no cha- plans to have Papa Shango in the angle. Right. So they didn't change. He eventually, as you said, debuts as Kama Mustafa, a member of the nation. I know he was the fighting machine before, blah blah blah. Uh but Killer Kowalski is gonna come off the payroll here. And when I read that in the observer, I said to myself, self, what was killer Kowalski on the payroll for before this? Kowalski would screen all of the enhancement talent. So Killer would come in and all of the enhancement talent, we put them through their paces earlier in the day. And Kowalski would be the one that would put them through all of that and determine whether or not they had what it took would take to be in the ring. Talk to me a little bit about, um, Steve Austin in this era. Uh, it's written here. Austin was told by one doctor this week that his injury could be the beginning of a serious neck problem. And the doctor even suggested he retire Bruce. So he's going in for a second opinion. And this is before the pile driver from Owen at SummerSlam. My man's just beat up. Is he not? Yeah, I think Steve, you know, was, was definitely dealing with some injuries and, uh, man, sometimes it just gets to you. Let's get to the show. The wrestling observer readers gave this show 66.7% thumbs up. It does 177,000 buys the year prior King of the ring 96 with Sean and bulldog on top did 197,000 buys. So even though merch is flying or selling out buildings, pay-per-views are still down a little bit. And Meltzer would, uh, talk a little bit about the history of Hunter and this tournament. We'll talk about that in a moment. First, we should mention the show drew 9,312 fans. They paid $202,963. It's a 16,000 seat arena. So it's not quite sold out, but, uh, still pretty strong. And the merch business is strong too. Another 75 grand there. We get started with Hunter and Ahmed Johnson going seven minutes and 42 seconds. You know, Hunter's going to win. The crowd is actually hot for this match. And Meltzer would say it's because it's a hot crowd more so than they're hot for these two participants because the match was ultra slow paced and they did very little China gets on the apron goes after, uh, he goes after her. He being Ahmed that allows Helmsley to hit the knee from behind and the pedigree for the win. one star. This is sort of the beginning of a fall from grace for Ahmed Johnson. Um, is he a guy you look back at a think, fall or a trip? Well, uh, probably a trip. That's better. Is he one of those guys you think, what if about, or not so much? God, all the time. Yeah. All the time, man. You know, look, he had the tools. He really did. I just think that, um, maybe he didn't have the discipline to, to get it all done and put it all together. But, 
Um, when you take a look at somebody at first sight, you know, first impressions, you go, holy cow, man. Um, I could see that guy is, is a champion. I could see that guy being the face of the company. Next up, we get mankind beating Jerry Lawler in 10 minutes and 24 seconds. Paul bear is not with mankind. So we're trying to, uh, establish him more as a baby face. And he even does kind of a baby face interview. And he's doing cactus Jack's bang, bang trademark phrase. Now a little bit more that he's a, a baby face, I guess, Bruce, this is quite the match though. I mean, you got 47 year old Jerry Lawler here. He knows how to rile up the crowd. He's old school. You're establishing mankind as a, a new budding baby face. It feels like this is a good spot, uh, to have mankind in, in there against him. I mean, Lawler knows how to make people hate him. Uh, they do have a, a messed up neck breaker spot. And, and Mick has talked about this, maybe the most embarrassing spot he's ever had. Uh, Lawler is going to go for a fist drop, then go for a pile driver. Mankind powers out, hits the mandible claw. And listen, I love both of these guys, but this match just doesn't really click. Why do you think that was in this era was mankind? I think, oh God, two completely different styles. Yes. Just completely different philosophies and completely different styles and backgrounds. So, you know, but it, you know, it's funny. You're talking about the, the pile driver and what have you. Um, Mick did that stuff pile driver. Yes. That he, he did that. I think anybody that's ever been in the ring with Mick would go, how in the hell does he do that? Because it looks like it kills the person. And I've never heard anybody even remotely uh, complain about it. So that's Lawler either, but you know, mix mix looks devastating. Mix looks devastating. Well, it's, uh, man, it's a, it's a close shave. And if you're looking for a close shave, man's guy, manscaped can help. Come on now. Father's day's right around the corner. And if you haven't gotten dad, anything yet, don't worry. That's where manscaped comes in. We both know that him and your mom would really appreciate this gift. It's the performance package 4.0. He'll thank you later. And mom probably will too. It's a win-win situation. Think about your mother. Why don't you go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code STW for 20% off plus free shipping. Let me tell you the thing your dad wants the most isn't something you can wrap. All right. You can't slide it inside of a cart either, but your mama's got it. And he can probably get a little more with manscaped. We're talking about the lawnmower 4.0. Your balls will thank you. And so will your mama. Maybe even let mom know she can go ahead and take action herself. Thanks to the advanced skin safe technology. The old man's balls are going to be just fine. You got a ceramic blade here. That's going to reduce those grooming accidents. And it's even got a 4,000 K led light. So mom can really get in there in the dark. If you know what I'm talking about, they got different guard lengths too. Maybe your mom's old school. She likes a little shag carpeting. They got got guard sizes one through four. Maybe you've seen your dad with a big old gnarly nose hair. Mom don't like those either, but she'll love you for getting him the weed whacker 2.0 nose and ear hair trimmer. They've even got all kinds of other fun stuff like cologne crop mop ball wipes, which are a Bruce Pritchard favorite, the crop reviver ball toner, which is exactly what got Tony Schiavone back on TV and the crop preserver ball deodorant, which Eric Bischoff is known to rock every now and again. This is a gift. Your dad will never forget. And neither will your mom get 25. Or I'm sorry. get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use our code STW. You'll get 20% off and free shipping. When you go to manscaped.com, just be sure to use our code STW. Don't forget you came from that man's balls. So this year show your original home, some love 
with Manscaped. You think Kane would volunteer to help you uh, <clears throat> clean up a little bit? I was just thinking of the set of balls we'd have to create Dave Silva. Uh, it's They're large. They're meaty. Uh, really? Probably. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's get a, let's get Mr. Silva, Papa Silva, a hookup here at manscaped.com. I'll use the promo code STW. We'll save us 20% and get free shipping. And Dave can show them how to do it. Yeah. On the show next week. We want to see smooth balls. Next okay. Week. Brian Pillman does an interview where Steve Austin sneaks up from behind him, beats him up, puts his head in a toilet bowl. And of course... Meltzer can't help himself. However, it appeared the water level was so low that Pillman's head wasn't actually in the water. Uh, he also noted once that the undertaker wasn't actually dead. Uh, Goldust is going to pick. God damn, he's, what, what a fucking, that's a real journalist right there. Hey, he, the head didn't touch the water. Okay. Uh, Goldust pins crush nine minutes and 56 seconds. Meltzer would say this is the match that killed the crowd. Um, yeah. D'Lo Brown and, and Clarence Mason are going to go after Marlena. Goldust is going to punch D'Lo, but he's jumped by Crush. That leads to the finish. Goldust hits a DDT for the pin. It gets a dud rating. Uh, man, listen, I think we both probably wish Crush would have had a, a different run here, but it feels like we can't get any momentum for that guy going, right? Shaka bra. It's just yeah. nothing happening. Next bless his, heart. bless his heart is right. Owen is going to team with Davy boy and Jim Neidhart. They're going to make a six man, or I guess you like to call them a trios these days. They'll take on. No, I've never called it that. I don't understand what the fuck that means. It's six men. Trios is three. That's like, it's fucking confusing and I don't get it. So if this is a six man tag, why don't we call the other tags four man tags? Hey, we should. Yeah. Because we do an eight-man tag. But sometimes, but sometimes, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Can we can we petition SmackDown to start referring on the show? No. Like, could Michael Cole start saying four-man no. tag? Okay. No. Got it. So you're just going to stick with trios? I know that's a word you love. I, no, I hate it. Yeah. I think it's, no, makes no sense to me. So does Jeff Jarrett, by the way. So it's Owen Davey. Oh, oh yeah. He's, X, you know what? It should be the, the X Division trios. Try to explain that one. Well, maybe what we need on, since y'all are passing out belts like candy these days, why don't we get the brass knuckles title back? I know where you can get a good one, right? Oh, See, I don't have any anymore. well, it was once upon a time. It? Oh, it's in the downstairs. One. Okay. Uh, so listen, this group of the heart foundation going to take on psycho Sid and Legion of doom. They go 1337. It gets a star in three quarters. Uh, the big power bomb on Davy boy. Uh, but Owen Hart comes off the top rope with a sunset flip for the pin. We're trying to work towards the July show. I guess we know we're going to have a 10 man tag. We'll do it with a six man tag Ten here. man tag. See, yeah, not Cinco's. I think Cinco's whatever the fuck. Yeah. Cinco's. Oh, that'd be great. A Cinco's match. Yeah. Fuck. I love that. You just created. Hola, cool. Hola, Tomas. Es la muchacha? Esta María? Esta I don't know bonita. what you just said. Psycho said dialogue ever learned seventh grade. Psycho said teaming up a Legion of doom, man, once upon a time in the eighties, this would have been badass. I don't know that it was as badass in 1997. I would have loved to have seen Sid out there with some silly paint and shoulder pads. What'd you think of them as a six man? Uh, I thought it was oil and water and, and, you know, uh, not sure that the, 
Legion of Doom was too enamored to team with Sid. Yeah, I get that. Next up, a really long match. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is going to beat mankind in 19 minutes and 26 seconds. He's going to win the King of the Ring tournament. Meltzer would say that there's no heat at all for the first half of the match, despite that the work was solid. To the fans, at least until the two worked hard enough to get the crowd into the match, they must have seen this as an unworthy final match. The second half of the match built into a very good match with mankind taking crazy bump after crazy bump and the announcers attempting to paint a portrait of him putting on one of the most courageous performances in history. The match just never reached that level. There were even loud, boring chants at different times. Mankind got the mandible claw on China, but mankind pulls Helmsley off and out of the ring by the hair. Helmsley pulls off mankind's mask, revealing why it's cactus Jack, of course, and mankind gets in, put the cl- Foley. there you go. It's the first time we've seen some of this stuff before we get the finish though. Um, Helmsley is going to finish him off with the pedigree. He's going to destroy mankind with the crown. So the gimmick seems to be King Hunter and queen China, according to Dave Meltzer. And mankind crawls back to the dressing room on his hands and knees, quite a performance by mankind here, but finally it's not too little, too late, but it is a year later. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is the king of the ring. What'd you think? I actually thought the match was good. thought the match was real good. And you know, was it, uh, a 14 star Tokyo dome fucking extravaganza with, uh, he said the match was good, Bruce. No, no he said it was boring and said, no, he said they were boring. No, he didn't say that. He said the crowd was chanting boring. And why hear what I want to hear? Okay. I got you. I appreciate okay. that. Listen, so the, uh, when, when, when I had the jaded dark cloud already giving out, you know, their stuff, it's, it's hard to listen to them with any kind of, uh, optimism. Well, he was very complimentary of the match. He talks about how mankind oh, they must have been the shits, but I remember it was pretty good. Um, no, you know, this was, I, I thought, uh, just, a another spectacular, display, you know, of Mick Foley and yes. the way that he was able to psychologically control an audience. I think that's, you know, again, you go back and you look at that from where we had come from. I thought it was masterful on Mick's part. It really did. It really is impressive what Mick does here. I mean, go out of your way to watch this one because this is a sleeper match. Not a lot of people talk about, but you're yep. seeing mankind go head first into the guardrail. He's doing the nesty plunge off the apron onto the floor. He does fall onto a photographer, but he takes a pedigree through a table. Uh, China's going to, you know, break the scepter over his back. Just an incredible amount of punishment here. And when it's all said and done, it's all about Hunter. And at this point, it does feel like, you know, in a weird way, just like the year prior at King of the Ring. Mankind was kind of made when he beat the undertaker. Now mankind has been a real main eventer. He kind of helps make Hunter a year later at the same show, King of the ring. Right? Absolutely. But also their, their entire program. I yes. think that, you know, Mick and Hunter had this incredible chemistry that really brought both of them to prominence and was able to get mix, you know, other ego, you know, alter egos out. So you got to see dude love. You got to see a dude with Steve, but you, you got to see cactus Jack and you got to see that different side of mankind. That was uh pretty cool. 
Before Austin versus Michaels, the entire Hart Foundation comes down to ringside and Brett does an interview talking about the July pay-per-view in Calgary. He's challenging any five wrestlers to face them in a 10-man tag. Meltzer would say at that point, it was supposed to be Sid and Michaels and Austin and the Legion of Doom. Pillman and Brett are going to act as if they're going to do commentary, but they're instead chased away by the agents. So that's how we set up Canadian Stampede. That's available in the archives at uh, somethingtowrestle.com. Now let's talk about maybe not our main event, but certainly the most anticipated match on the card. Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. They're the tag team champions, but they're facing each other here tonight. They go to a double DQ, but they get plenty of time. 22 minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, Shawn Michaels is on another level in this era. It's a fantastic match. Even with a kind of a non-finish, it gets four stars, but there's a couple things to talk about. Um, Sean gets frustrated because there's so many photographers at ringside and eventually there's a fan who's a super fan who gets upset about what's going on. Sean takes a break from the action, takes care of the fan and then gets back to wrestling. And I got to tell you for a guy who in this era, especially 1997, when people are saying that Sean's on his worst behavior and he's this and he's that. The kindness he showed that fan in this match really stands out to me. Sean ain't all bad. No. Yeah. And an unbelievable performer. Yes. My goodness. Uh, go out of your way to see this one. You know, listen, it's easy for us to sort of poke holes in the bad stuff and make fun of the, uh, the, yeah. the, the bad stuff, but this is not it at all. You uh, know, it, it goes back to when Steve first came into the company as the ringmaster we booked Sean versus Steve cold, all just the whole loop all over the place. And, you know, Steve was the million dollar champions. Sean was WWE champion. And they would have these incredible matches every single night in every single TV, every time that we would get together. Uh, Sean would just sing the praises of Steve Austin. Go, I want to work a program with this guy. We got to do something with this guy. And it was, it, it, it was that and being able to uh, finally have that match on a pay-per-view where you could see it, where more people could see it other than just if you were fortunate enough to have it in your local venue that, you know, I, I thought it was great. I just thought it was a, a nice example of two great workers working great together Um couldn't beat either one of them and needed to keep them together, but it was, it was a great stop gap. And I think it was a match that satisfied those that were looking for something else that they went, Holy shit. I didn't know I needed this in my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they got it. And it was great. There's a fun finish to it too. I know the fans are going to uh, boo and start chanting bullshit at the finish, but the story is Austin is going to get frustrated with a ref stone cold stun him. Here comes another ref. Sean gets frustrated with that one. Super kicks him. Here comes the third ref Earl Hebner. He disqualifies both guys for attacking the other two referees. Nice little way to tell the story. Of course, we know the original story was supposed to be Brett versus Sean and Brett gets the win. We set up the 10 man tag. That doesn't happen. Uh, instead we get undertaker taking on Farouk for the world title. This is going to go on last. The NOD has uh, a big presence here when they first start the gimmick, but it does feel like it's lost a lot of steam. Meltzer would say maybe it's because of the overexposure. 
And maybe some are saying Farouk isn't being taken seriously as a main event heel. It's a good match, but it's not a great match. And eventually we see Paul bear come out and get involved and Savio Vega and crusher here. Paul bear is going to tell him to him, the undertaker to choke slam Farouk. He acted as if he doesn't want to, but he does it. And bear tells him to do it again. He winds up doing it four times before Ahmed Johnson comes out. And now these two guys, undertaker and Ahmed get nose to nose. Undertaker goes to choke slam Ahmed, but Ahmed ducks out of the way. hits the Pearl river plunge on undertaker and walks out two and a quarter stars. It's kind of a weird deal where, you know, Ahmed used to be the biggest rival of Farouk, but now that I guess they're, they have a common cause. They're trying to beat the undertaker for the WWF title. Just kind of as a fan, I wasn't digging it at the time, man. And I have to admit. Even though I knew the real life Ron Simmons had been the WCW world champion, I just didn't think Farouk was a viable threat to the undertaker to be champ here. Could you have seen it? I just think it was rushed. Yeah. We, we did not have time to tell the story. We didn't have time to make people care and it was just rushed and everything was kind of put together based on what we thought we were going to have. And then all of a sudden we don't have that. And, and it's dominoes. They start to fall. So there wasn't enough time to really let it percolate, be able to tell the story that we were looking to tell. And I don't know if, even if we had that time that it would have made all that much difference, but yeah, it just was kind of, as Pat Patterson would say, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of that on this card. I mean, what it could have been and what it wound up being, but still Meltzer would say King of the ring would have to be described as a show that ended up being far better and than it looked on paper on paper. The tournament didn't look interesting. And the only match on the show that appeared to be potentially memorable was Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin. Instead, it was a solid, although unspectacular show. What say you Bruce thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I thought it was okay. Was it, was it a great show? I don't think so, but I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm looking at it from an emotional standpoint of, of what, what you're hoping to have. And sometimes you just black out on, on the, what's the whys and, and what you would have done after that. But it's just that frustration in the moment of going, God, I wish I had something different. Wish we had more time to do this. If only we could have done that. And that's hindsight. And that's looking at it from, you know, the creation standpoint. And I don't think that, I mean, it was, it was a good car, but I wouldn't say that, you know, it's in the top 10 of all time, best King of the rings. Charlie thrower wants to know, always wondered, wondered why wasn't there more of the Hollywood blondes as a pairing? Was it Brian's injury that kept him and Austin apart? Thank you, Mr. Pritchard. I mean, you didn't keep them apart. You put them together. We did the gun angle with them. I almost feel like if, if Brian wasn't hurt. They would have had a feud and that may have actually slowed down his momentum to get to Brett, right? That might've not worked out in Austin's favor. If Pillman was ready to go. I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that a healthy Pillman and a healthy Steve, I think would have been magnificent. Oh yeah. You know, uh, we'll never know, but the, I, you know, the idea to put those guys together was something that we did play with and we're looking forward to doing. But it never just, you know, just never panned out because of Brian's injuries. 
it just feels like to me, you know, if you're, if you're going to start that feud and I know that you did it because you knew we had to take time off and all that, but let's pretend that you really start that angle and we do the gun stuff. I think in October of 96, you might've had Austin versus Pillman at survivor series instead of Austin versus Brett. I'm glad we got Austin Brett. I mean, that helped yeah. make Austin for sure. No kidding. No kidding. You know, it's, it's just, you know, what could have been. And we'll, we'll never really know that. But I, I do think that Austin and Pillman made better opponents than they did his partners. It's interesting to think about too, like what would have happened? Like had the curtain call not happened, Hunter would have won it in 96. Okay. But in 97, if Pillman was able to move around a little better. Maybe he could have been in. It's interesting to think what could have been like, maybe Pillman could have won it in 96. The, the what ifs are the best part. Um, and Andrew has a good, what if had triple H won it in 96, who would have been the favorite to win it in 97? God, I have no idea. I mean, again, you know, you look at those, what ifs when you're dealing with it, you know, in the now at the time you, you can go, what if all day long? Doesn't matter. Right. It, it just, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, so you try to do the very best you can with the tools that you have at that time. And that's all you can do. Drew Landry says, you said in the Bret Hart 96, 97 episode, this was Brett's way of losing his smile. Since Brett's coming off knee surgery, how well do you think a Brett Sean match would have went? It doesn't seem like it would have lifted up to both stars expectations. Do you really think this was Brett's way of losing his smile? Well, I think that's taken out of context a little bit. I think that the comment was probably, uh, addressed. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but it overall would be the situation we talked about earlier in the wheelchair of Brett, not getting his cue and everything. I don't think for one second, you know, that Brett's injury in any way, shape or form was not a legitimate injury. And I think that Brett Hart, the human being and the performer uh, would have much rather (laughs) been involved and been able to work. So um, when I said that, that's not, you know, that's out of context. That's what I was referring to. Well, next up, we're going to be talking about finally Jacques Rougeau from his early time in the WWF to his part as the, uh, Rougeau boys and the Mont- the Mountie and the Quebecers and the ins and outs with the company. Jacques Rougeau is our subject next week on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Uh, I don't know what I expected today, Bruce, but, uh, I had fun talking about King of the ring 97. Um, we had all the start and stops today because of Silva. Well, yes, it's all Silva's fault. We know that we appreciate you guys, uh, patience. We know we're posting a few days late, but we will endeavor to persevere as our pal, Eric Bischoff says, and by God, we're going to try to find a way to get together again this week. And hopefully cross your fingers, knock on wood. We're going to be on time this Friday. I'm going to wheel it into existence. Bruce, thanks for the time today. Hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. And, uh, you know, before we go, we, we, um, oh yeah, we forgot to mention the Iron lost Sheik. One of the greats, man. Lost one of the absolute all-time greats of, of the business. Um, the Iron Sheik uh, left us. And, you know, 
in later years, people that were only exposed to to Kaz and in his later years when, you know, he wasn't in the ring and wasn't in the best of, of shape and, and what have you and, and kind of became a, uh, a punchline, you know, for jokes, have no idea the the true human being that was Kazro Vaziri. Um, I was honored to to know him. I was honored to be belly to belly suplexed on the dance floor of the Quality Inn at the Quality uh, Airport at Hobby Airport in Houston, Texas. I was, you know. This guy, <laughs> you know, you think about the whole explosion of the business when Vince took everything national and the huge part that Kaz had in that because it went from Bob Backlund to the Iron Sheik, the WWF champion, or I guess it was WWF championship at the time. And the Sheik then lost that title to Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania was born. And the rest, as they say, is history because of that. You know, I think that Vince always looked at Sheik as top main event guy, no matter where he was in the card, whether he was opening up or whatever he was, he was paid as a main eventer and taken care of as a main eventer because he meant so much to the company and so much to our business in how he did everything. Um, you know, she had, had his demons and had his issues, but if he liked you, man, you were, you were gold. You were, God forbid anybody messed with you. If, uh, she had anything to do about it. Um, he will be sorely, sorely missed. And, um, Truly, truly one of the greats, Kazro Vaziri, the Iron Sheik, and uh, may he rest in peace. And I thank him for everything that he did in this business and, and for being a friend and, and for kind of uh, always looking out for me the, the way that he did. And he was a great guy. He ever make you humble? Well, if he wanted to, he could. <laughs> he would make you humble in about two and a half seconds. Well said one of the all time greats, one of the most iconic performers in wrestling history. I'm sure we will do, uh, a longer, more fitting tribute to him in due time, but, uh, what a legacy he leaves. You know, that was the introduction to a lot of people to pro wrestling, you know, when Vince first went wide and we had to have bad guys for Hogan to battle against and none better, none better. I mean, whether you were talking about it in the cartoons or as an action figure, like everybody wanted the Hulk Hogan action figure, but Hulk had to beat somebody up who better than the iron Sheik? and, yep. uh, man, just, uh, such a talent. And I know that he had a second act in life where he was, you know, doing and saying silly stuff at appearances and on social media, but he found a way to reinvent himself and, uh, just universally well-liked and respected go out of your way to watch that documentary from about nine years ago. Uh, I think is on Amazon now. Uh, but everybody, and I mean, everybody comes out to pay their respects to the iron Sheik, whether it's the rock or Hulk Hogan and man, just, uh, such a special yeah. performer. So thoughts and prayers to his whole family. Uh, I'm glad the legend is finally getting some peace and resting. Yep. 
And, you know, you talk about respect with a guy like the Iron Sheik. He never asked for it. He just earned it. Thanks for everything. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. We'll be back next week talking about Jacques Rougeau. Rock on. Fight Plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment. And they're now offering a free seven-day trial at tryfight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a thousand hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T-R-Y-F-I-T-E dot com. Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. Through strength, support, and faith, one half of TNA's America's Most Wanted Chris Harris has persevered, and wrestling is still a big part of his life. And on a brand new series, The False Finish, Chris Harris tells us the story of his amazing journey in his own words. I was thinking to myself then when that came about, you know, I, it's hard going through what I went through and not think, you know, would that have happened had I not had a sober head? I mean, or, or, you know, I have I have God looking out for me. You know, would something like that have happened in any other circumstances? Because Scott Demore, I mean, I kept in touch with him. He knew about it all. So... And he was so proud of me for doing it. So maybe that had a little piece of, of it. That maybe that's why the opportunity was there. But um, just a lot of really great things have happened in the past uh, couple years. And um, I'm just so thankful and I'm grateful for, for being in the place I am now. Hey, that's just a small taste of what AdFree Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why AdFree Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at AdFreeShows.com. That's right. Sign up today at AdFreeShows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.